Hello and welcome to Why It Matters. This is a podcast for leaders who know that relevance is a moving target. I'm Michael Goff and I'm the Strategy Director at Spark Studio. This is a collection of interviews with leaders who are passionate about something that is being overlooked. Sometimes that will be a brand, a product or a service, but it can also be an idea, something that has lost its value for many. And to re-express relevance, you need someone with vision. Today, I'm chatting to Dee Corrigan, who is the head of corporate engagement for the charity Blueprint for Better Business. They hope to create a better society with businesses that are focused on purpose and impact. So I'm asking Dee, why purpose-driven PLCs matter? Dee, welcome to Why It Matters. Lovely to have you with us. Thank you for having me here. And we're talking a little bit today about um, why purpose-driven PLCs matter. And I think um, let's start at the uh, the beginning. Seems a sensible place to start. Tell us a little bit about Blueprint for Business, its history and your involvement with the organisation. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, it's Blueprint for Better Business and we're a charity. Uh, We formed just after the financial crisis in 2012. It kind of came about through a group of business leaders who were concerned with the breakdown in trust uh, between business and society, but recognizing that they themselves couldn't solve it. And so they got a multidisciplinary group together. And that included people from business, but also from faith, from academia, from science, from kind of different paths of life to really get curious about the question about business, trust, and what the role of business was in society or is in society. So that's kind of how it initially kind of the idea around Blueprint for Better Business came together. And I guess one key aspect that they wanted to look into, and I guess that was explored, was what was the role of business in society? And, you know, was there a question there that led to the reasons why we've got this breakdown in trust between Mm. business and society? So, and that's where they really kind of started to narrow in on, well, what is the point of, what is the purpose? What is the why behind business and society and so so that was a starting point really it was getting really curious about that question and when did you decide to get involved what was the what was going on in your own context that you thought actually there was a good opportunity to step in and support them so I joined the charity just over two years ago and prior to that my career had always been working in business I actually worked in marketing and communications Uh and I worked across mainly all b2b um, but across different sectors And I guess it was just really my own experience in business. In some ways, I I guess I went on a similar path that the group that formed Blueprint went on as well. I just got really, I started to get really curious around that breakdown that I was really beginning to feel in society, got concerned about environmental impacts, about growing social inequality, and just a dissatisfaction for me too in my own career and what I was doing. And and just, you know, you do spend a lot of your waking life working, or at least I was, and um, I wanted that to be a bit more meaningful. So I started to actually, in my own time, just get more curious about economics. I was also being coached at the time and really enjoyed that and started to meet people from different paths of life and walks of life as well. And And I guess I found there's definitely people who leave the business world and feel really frustrated by it. And there's almost like an anti-business sentiment. But my own view is that I don't think people in business are inherently bad, but there's something in the system that's not right. Yeah. And then, yeah, just through that, and actually a company that I had worked with previously had engaged with Blueprint. And it was 
through that that I met with the people at Blueprint at the time I was training to be a coach myself too and then the role came up to lead the corporate engagement there and they were looking for someone with corporate experience and also training in coaching because we do take quite a coaching approach to our work. Very good and so for Blueprint then what does better business mean what does it look like what's the kind of the utopia that you're sort of pushing towards? So this group that got together that started to get curious about the role of business in society I guess started saw that there was two key assumptions that underpin how businesses show up uh one assumption was around the role of business so it's this very narrow view and a very narrow interpretation of milton friedman's view that the only role of business is to deliver profit to shareholders and then the other view was actually and this is a a much deeper kind of perspective and that's the view on people that people are motivated by money status and power so if you start to like peel back the layers of an organization, these two key assumptions are there actually in so many ways in which businesses operate. And so the group really wanted to challenge that. And that's what we at Blueprint do now is we challenge those two core assumptions. So our view is that the purpose of business is to deliver value by serving society and that profit is an outcome of doing that well, but that profit is not the sole reason that a business exists although vitally important. It's not the sole reason. And then the other aspect is around people. So it's not that we have somehow magically happened upon what really motivates us as human beings. I mean, this is a question that's been ongoing for centuries, but we certainly think this limited view of people that were motivated by money, status and power needs to be challenged. And also recognizing that we are highly malleable as people. So the environments in which we operate in also tend to appeal and kind of push our own kind of motivation buttons. So we believe that, yes, there is, you know, these desires within us that are more, say, like maybe more viewed as self-interested, but there's also a lot more and that a lot more matters in our lives. So a sense of meaning from our work, a sense of autonomy in what we're doing, a sense of freedom, but freedom with responsibility. So we wanted to, so we just really challenged that and and we believe it's important to challenge both. It's not enough just to have a good purpose and to really challenge the idea of the purpose of business and recreate your purpose in business if you don't also challenge these notions about people. And why particularly PLCs? Is that just an issue of scale and reach or is there more about a PLC that's interesting? Well, I think, you know, our utopia would be that, you know, you create a better society through having better business, Um, although not only business, but certainly through having better businesses, we can help shape society. So that's very broad. But I guess in terms of our theory of change and the impact that we seek to have, first of all, we need to recognize that Blueprint is not the only organization, not the only charity also pushing for this way of being. There's like a lot of different organizations out there, like B Corp, for example, because it's in the community. So what is our unique place within that? And I think part of this comes back to the origins of Blueprint as well. And it was quite senior leaders of big business PLCs the banks in in the UK that had come together so that kind of gave a natural kind of next step for us in terms of the network so that was certainly part of it but I think also we have to tackle the big PLCs. You know, they are the ones with the power. They're the ones that have the access, you know, huge access access through their supply chain, through their through what they do 
uh, their customers. So we can't ignore large PLCs. And also we believe that this thinking can be embedded into the way PLCs um, work and operate. And perhaps kind of asking the question slightly differently, but the kind of focus of the episode is built on this. So why do purpose-driven PLCs matter? Well, I think we are quickly reaching the limits of the way the current system is operating. And I think there's a broader awareness of that now. So we've obviously got, you know, the environmental issues. And also, I think the COVID crisis has really brought into sharp relief the inequalities in society. Black Lives Matters movement is exposing the deep and persisting injustices. And so I think there's really a question now around how large businesses can be more of a net contributor to society and that that will underpin their license to operate moving forward and really to re-establish trust. But, you know, for me, it just, there's, I guess, there's that kind of moral case around it, but there's also like, it just makes sense, right? Because businesses, you know, you can't have a healthy business in an unhealthy society. We can't have a thriving business on a burning planet. Mm. So, these things are impacting business now as well. And so, it, you know, they, they have to address it for their own survival. And obviously business purpose at the moment is a very topical issue. And there's been in recent years, there's been an explosion of small businesses that have really sort of seen the vision, seen the opportunity and are, are acting as challengers and disruptors to established markets, you know, looking to upset the status quo with a different model. You're sort of arguing for the kind of bigger organisations to get on board. I guess, how easy is it for a global PLC to take that challenge seriously? Not easy is the short answer. I also don't think it's all that easy for smaller businesses as well, but maybe for different reasons. You know, they'll have difficult trade-off decisions to make. But large businesses, yeah, it's it's not easy, in particular when they take the depth of the challenge that we're talking about. So really challenging the core of why the business exists, really challenging how they think about the relationship between purpose and profit. And then that real deep, deep challenge around people. Like that's so embedded in how organizations and how organizations operate. So yeah, I think it's um it's a very difficult challenge for them. And and you have to go in to that challenge um with a real personal belief around this. You know, a lot of what we're work with and, and this is where the coaching kind of comes into play is helping people to develop that real belief themselves that what's better for society, what's better for people is better for business. And that kind of idea of better for business might be slightly different to what we're used to. And I guess that sort of, you know, brings into sharp focus the recent news around Danone uh, and the, the ousting of the chairman and, uh, and CEO Emmanuel Faber partly as a result of shareholder intervention uh, and sort of spearheaded by sort of Bluebell Capital and Artisan Partners. What's your take on on what that does for purpose to have such a big organisation like Danon take it seriously? Uh, I think it was um, uh, Emmanuel Faber who said that they felt he, in their new approach to responsible capitalism, they toppled the statue of Milton Friedman in their approach. Is there a sense in which actually... You know, perhaps Milton Friedman's getting back on his pedestal as a result of the the ousting of Emmanuel Faber. I'm really curious about the way in which the discussion debate is happening around it. I think it's following many ways in which discussion more broadly in society is happening around these polars. So, you know, as you said, there's a lot about, well, Milton Friedman, you know, we're proving that toppling Milton Friedman was the wrong thing. And then there's other people saying, well, look at the all these investors. It's the investors, it's the shareholders. 
and you're getting these like really polarized arguments. And I actually think the real learnings from this will be in the nuance in the middle. And I think we just again, it, it for me, it's just a reinforcement around how we have to get better at these kind of discussions in society and in discussing the role of business in society as well. So what do I think are potentially some of the learnings there? Well, you know, for me, I I, I always wondered why the, he was CEO and chairman. Yeah. I think there should be a separation of those duties and proper governance around these things. I think we should celebrate the fact that in the initial phase of when he was getting the shareholders on board, he got the shareholders on board. I think they'll, to a certain extent, you know, just having these things doesn't, you know, have, stating that you want to be more responsible, having a purpose that doesn't always need lead to perfect success. There's still all these other skills that we have and leadership challenges that we have and that we have to negotiate. There may also just be a timing problem you know, not giving enough space and time to that. But on the other hand, look at Unilever, you know, Unilever are also in that space and and they're proving that you can do purpose and deliver for shareholders. So I think I think that we need to just move away from the polarized arguments around this. If we truly want to have businesses that are more purpose led, I think we need to move away from the polarized arguments and really like look at what we can learn from from this case and and those learnings still we need to expose and i wonder as well i suppose my assumption about a blueprint for better business is that there's a real focus on educating leadership and business leaders to see the value of a, a sort of sustainable business model and the impact it has on people and planet to what extent there's also an education piece for shareholders to actually see that the shareholder responsibility is more than just safeguarding their pension return or their profitable return how much of your work is focused on the shareholder alongside the business leader? Well, this isn't necessarily part of my work, but I take it as kind of one of the things I do more in my day to day life is to educate my own family and friends that we're shareholders if we're pension fund holders. So it's not like there's this evil group of people called shareholders like we are the shareholders. Yeah. So we also have a lot more power than we think in the system. Also shareholders, if you know you're oftentimes a shareholder, if you're working for a business. So how can you use your voice as a shareholder and an employee to be able to challenge some of these things? I think the investor world. So that, so then you get to the like, how is that system then working? You know, and so you have these people that are supposedly stewards of pension fund holders and there's something there maybe not quite working as well. There is some movement happening. Uh, It's not an area that I personally get as involved in as Charles does. And there's other kind of groups working in this area outside of Blueprint as well. I think when it comes to the corporate work that we're doing it's um, how how do you engage differently in your discussions and dialogues? with those that are stewards of pension fund holders and and for the shareholders. How can we come up with better forms of governance, of better forms of measurement and assessment? And, you know, in some cases, I guess businesses have been run in a certain way over a certain number of years or decades that have attracted a certain type of investor base. So you might also need to look at that over the long run. Who, Who are you actually attracting as your investors into your organization? And it's probably worth saying that, um, the sort of campaign around the shareholders of Danon, their, their focus wasn't on the issue of sustainability. Their, their focus was very much on the performance and that the, the feeling was that the, there was an imbalance towards sustainability over profitability. So I think it, on one level, it's not that the, the, the cause of being more sustainable is a problem. It seems to be that there's a dynamic there around um, how you maintain a balance between the two, the kind of equilibrium of a focus on profit and a focus on, on purpose. 
for you, what is lost if purpose isn't part of a PLC? What what happens? What's the consequence? I, I think at a very personal level, uh, I think everything is lost. Like you lose the heart and soul of a business. You know, I think when you go down the route of operating a business, you know, in particular, you know, certain businesses around short term shareholder returns, you know, you just you lose the essence of the business. You lose the creativity, the drive, the energy, you know, everything becomes a transaction. And you lose, you know, for me, I think so much of the value that is created in organizations is through the quality of relationships that you have. And I think the way in which businesses can operate very much on that narrow focus of profit and also in that narrow focus on how people are motivated, it quickly becomes a transactional environment and you lose the very quality and nature and creativity and innovation that really business should should be about. Yeah, that's interesting because... From a branding point of view, we're always asking our clients to think about the kind of human quality and the way that they express themselves from a, a kind of normal point of view. We say, you know, from a brand in a branding context, it's so easy to get caught up in jargon or industry language that becomes very dehumanizing. And I guess yeah. what you're saying there is there's a similar thing in actual the the practice of being in business. It becomes a commodity and a transaction rather than yeah. a relationship. And we become commodities and transactions, you know, so that's what I mean by we lose everything. We lose the heart and soul of business. Yeah. And so the inverse of that question, then, how does purpose make a PLC stronger for someone who is perhaps in the, the starting points of thinking about this? What would you be saying are the benefits of taking purpose seriously at a PLC level? So this is always tricky. And it does depend on the organization sometimes and the conversations we might have beforehand. Because I think where sometimes the purpose conversation has gone wrong is overly emphasizing the business case, because then you lose the essence of what we're talking about. But then if you push too hard on the moral side of things and not enough on the business case, you don't help people to connect. What I said was that deep belief that what's better for business, better for society, better for people. So some of the things that I think uh, purpose helps strengthen business is uh, goes back to the relationships. So how do you move from an organization that's kind of more transactional to relational and how you create value through the quality of relationships? Um, so really seeing business as a social organization. I think it helps to give a sense of direction of where the company is going, gives people a sense of why, why they come to work every day, why it matters. There's a, a rationality to the decision making too. So you move beyond all decisions only being about the bottom line and the business case to create a rationale around the decisions that is linked to the purpose of the business. And I think this is really important because I think so many investments in business over the last, you know, in, in some businesses have been so focused on the business case that they've missed so many opportunities. And it's so hard to really, when you only look at the bottom line, yeah. to prove that something <laughs> is going to work. And I, I'm sure you know this from working in branding, right? Sometimes you just have an instinct around something that it's going to work, but it's very hard to prove it. Yes. Um, and so I think there's a kind of a relinquishing of that kind of need to satisfy the business case. And actually now you're looking at making decisions that are more in line with your purpose. Not to say that the business case doesn't matter or that you don't need to look at the numbers, but it's not the only thing that you're looking at. Yeah. That's always, I think, in our context, it's always the challenge of sort of the brand experience, particularly if you're working with, a, as we sometimes are working with clients who are perhaps more in a much more transactional sales organization. 
the idea that you then start talking about the the experience of your clients or your customers and what is it that they experience as the as a result of that transaction yeah that you can't really put a kpi to that and and prove the business case but it those softer elements do really make a difference don't they yeah and and we use a phrase oftentimes because measurement comes up a lot in our conversations and we think it's important to measure but we often use the phrase what counts is what gets counted and what really counts can't be counted and that both those statements are true and that the best leaders, you know, kind of navigate with that, with holding those two things. It's like a paradox, I guess. So, yeah. So I think that that, that phrase for me, I always consider and think about when, when we help and help organizations with different decisions. So what are the factors that are needed to ensure purpose makes a practical difference to the business? How do you avoid greenwashing? Oh, gosh, good, good question. I think avoiding greenwashing, that comes down to being comfortable with being more accountable. So we've got um, our framework and principles and are in the middle of our principles. We actually have a statement that says enables and welcomes public scrutiny of the alignment between purpose and actual performance. And that's not just about looking at the numbers. That's about having a true dialogue with, with different people and different stakeholder groups. So, you know, so some organizations have started to have like scrutiny boards. So parallel boards that are made up of different people from different parts of society, uh, their different stakeholder groups. Yeah. So I think really avoiding greenwashing is how open organizations are to being accountable and that's not just through measures and metrics. That's also about the quality of the dialogue that they have with stakeholders. And I guess the you know part of it is also being really clear on why it matters. You know, being able to articulate both to the shareholder because if it's about establishing real decision makers, shareholders are going to have a, a stake in that. As and you know, when it falls over in the case of Danon, perhaps there hasn't been done enough to 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 talk about the value of why the difference it's going to make. So, how would you help a, a leadership team? talk about the, the 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 step change that's needed and the significance of that step change as they talk to their wider stakeholders yeah i think you know i think it's really important that they're articulating the why and also like having a narrative around okay so this is our why and then this is how we're doing things and it's really important that that's shareholders are also included in that mm. and they're also um engaged in that conversation and then the other stakeholders, so in our five principles, we've got honest and fair with customers and suppliers. We've got a responsible and responsive employer. So that's your employees, stakeholders. You've got good citizens. So that's the communities in which you operate and also guardian for future generations. So they're the key kind of stakeholders that we think about, stakeholder groups when we think about um, purpose, along with shareholders as well. They're in the middle. And so I think it's really important that all of those people are engaged and brought along the journey. What's helpful about that is that speaks directly to brands, that ultimately that it's about how you position the business in the context of the market that you're in, in contrast to your competition, but also speaking to the relevancy of your target audience so the audience can really capture the essence of why you exist and how it relates to their their decision-making and their purchase power ultimately. And so, yeah, I can see how that connects the two. Who's doing it well? Who's out there that's um, who's making a good job of it? I mean, this is the, we, this is a question we often get asked, actually, and it and it is hard because, like, what we're talking about here is a, like a, a fundamental shift around how businesses 
thinks about itself and operates and shows up in the world. So there's a few key things, I guess, that we would look for and not all of them are easy for us to be able to tell or assess. So one is, does the company's purpose go to the heart of how it creates value for society through its core business? So in our framework, we've got a phrase, does does it create goods that are, that are truly good and services that truly serve? Second is, does the purpose live within the company? So does it shape the decision taking? genuinely driving strategy and the outcomes and are those outcomes you know linked back financially non-financially to the purpose this one's really tricky like does the company have a culture of relationships internally and externally which are human-centered and where everyone is seen as a someone and a not a something and the final point is just back to you know the targets do they set open targets and are they open to being challenged by the market and by their stakeholders and are they reporting not just on what they've done but also sharing you know the missteps and the undershooting and and really inviting dialogue about the transition they're on so if they're the things I guess we would look for in terms of company being what we think has been truly purpose-led then it's really hard to to tell that just from from looking on an internet my own view, and, and this is an example that's often used, is is I just think Unilever are a great example of this. Mm-hmm. And we're very lucky because Unilever, Paul Pullman was involved in the outset of, of Blueprint and we've had an ongoing relationship with them. And and the relationship is really open and they're very and they're great at sharing, you know, with us so that we can take the learnings that they're having on their journey and share that more broadly. But you know, if you look at Unilever, their purpose is to make sustainable living commonplace that goes really to the heart of how the company creates value both for society and all their stakeholders and shareholders it really is at the core of their business model so it's not just a kind of an add-on you know CSR on steroids and the company one of the things I also think is really important um, about what they do is that value that they create isn't just in the products that they they have but the way in which they do business and how they treat people that also is a way in which they see they create value for everyone their purpose is shaping their decision making their strategic choices their acquisitions and they also set open targets they're very transparent about their progress they've just in the last year they issued some of the learnings from 10 years on from their sustainable living plan And they also just announced a climate action plan and got shareholders uh, and presented that to the to the shareholders to get their buy in. So they're very open about their targets, but as open about how they're missing the targets and and what the learning has been from that as they are about the actual targets that they're meeting as well. So I think I mean, it's a it's it's a well used case study. But in one way, I think it's great that we're still using them as a case study shows that they're really committed to this journey. So, yeah. And they haven't they haven't fallen over yet, which is the other powerful part of that story. And hearing about that kind of transparency, you know, being able to talk about the negatives as well as the positives must be a kind of critical element in, in implementing purpose successfully. But what are the other critical steps that uh, a leadership team needs to be thinking about as they as they think about how purpose can be embedded into the culture? Yeah, so what I, I can um, share is is our own learnings from helping organisations on this journey and the first thing to say is it's never a clear path and, you know, step one, two and three. But there are kind of, in our view, kind of three big buckets 
of kind of actions but you know I I'll say this in a linear way but it's anything but linear <laughs> yeah okay so one of the biggest learnings from our work is the importance of creating space from the outset to create a shared understanding of what it means to be purpose-led I think oftentimes organizations have jumped into the development of a purpose statement without really getting clear in particular at an exco level and also at a board level what are we really meaning by becoming purpose-led? Yeah. And that's where we share a provocation both about purpose, its relationship with profit, and then also around people. And it's really creating space also not that we don't go in and just tell people and kind of shout from the pulpit about this. We provide our provocation and then we create space for a good dialogue around that and for people to share openly what questions they're holding, what dilemmas are coming up. So yeah, that shared understanding. And what I would say is that that's a, f- a key first critical step, but that's something that happens throughout the journey. And then the second second big bucket of stuff is around articulation. So that's articulation of your purpose statement, but also articulation through strategy and culture. So a good purpose statement in our view is authentic, inspiring, practical, and also envisages the better world that exists because of your success. And what's really interesting around this phase is it you often kind of have to develop the purpose statement, but test it against key strategic decisions. So it's very helpful if you're developing your purpose statement in line with developing your strategy. And then you have to think about, right, if this is our purpose, and then we're also really trying to challenge ourselves around how we think about people, both internally and externally in the organization, what culture do we want to create that really helps for people and purpose to thrive? Mm. And then the large kind of last bucket is around developing that culture and um, how do you really bring purpose to life and oftentimes and I still say this word myself people use the phrase embed and it's really interesting as I said I often use it myself still and I think I've already uh, already used it on today's podcast but we do try to challenge the notion of embed because that makes it sound like you're taking something from external and kind of pushing it through when oftentimes actually it's about releasing the potential that already exists in an organization so we often use the phrase like cultivate so how are you cultivating how are you creating the environment for this to come to life not necessarily trying to push it down into an organization so and that's a large phase and that will go on you know, that that phase is never done. And throughout that phase, you're constantly coming back to the question of what's our understanding? Now that we're a phase deeper in this, what's our understanding? You'll also be questioning, have we articulated this right? Is there a further articulation of our purpose statement? And, you know, the alignment around purpose and strategy, that will take time. I think it's really important that companies are aware of the trap that the purpose doesn't just create a sustainability or CSR strategy on steroids, that actually you have to, over time, integrate it so that the purpose is leading everything that the strategy is doing. But that doesn't happen overnight. No, but as you say, and it's not its not something that you, it's got to be engendered from a sort of grassroots up, isn't it? It's got to come from the kind of vision internally rather than it being something external that shapes and it's interesting that the kind of there's always a bit of a blurring for us between business strategy and branding strategy because the question we'd be asking from a branding point of view we'd often be asking similar questions you know who are you for why do you exist what difference is it going to make are the kind of core questions that you're asking as a as a brand agency uh, and that that's where there's a kind of intersection there isn't there between the sort of business objective and the and how it articulates itself and you're always looking for authenticity at that point. You want it to be believable to avoid that kind of problem of it becoming surface and superficial. 
the sort of second part of that question was around how should an executive board balance the needs of the shareholders with the pursuit of a responsible capitalism? What are, what's that sort of interplay in their own minds between how they tread that sort of narrow path, but they keep their stakeholders along the, on that journey? So first of all, just to kind of draw out one point that comes up in our work is the phrases that people use. So you mentioned their responsible capitalism and we, you know, there's responsible capitalism, there's sustainability, there's ESG, there's purpose-led and, and part of the confusion that happens at a board level and an exco level is these words are being used interchangeably and none of these phrases are ever going to be perfect. And there might even be a difference in interpretation of one organization to the other, but it's really important that there's a clarity around that interpretation. So for us, there is a difference between responsible capitalism and purpose-led business. So in many ways, responsible capitalism is what actually Milton Friedman was talking about. If you look at his kind of longer essay, you know, so he was talking about delivering profit for shareholders within the remit of being, you know, response, doing that responsibly. So that could also be similar to enlightened shareholder uh, capitalism too. So that is really where people still see the core of business as to be delivering profit, but you do it responsibly. And I guess the difference in what we say is that purpose-led business is, is about delivering value for society. It's about their purpose and profit is an outcome of doing that well. So it's a slight yeah. different kind of change in relationship. So so that's one of the important things, actually, is to have clarity of that. And that will help to navigate some of these these conversations and, and these decisions. Yeah, it's helpful. And, you know, I, absolutely. I've used it. I've used the term interchangeably and obviously unhelpfully. So great. Well, just a final question then. So um, on a, a slightly different tack. So. Uh, we have a newsletter that goes out to our uh, our client base and, and those that follow us will know this, that um, as part of that, we, we look to various sources to get inspiration for our own creativity. And we often look to kind of uh, look to culture to kind of get some influence. And so we've got this sort of worth a look section at the bottom of our newsletter uh, where we recommend films or exhibitions, theatre productions, that kind of thing, books, podcasts that we think our readers would be interested in. And so we'll end on this question then. Which of these kinds of things have you enjoyed recently that you would recommend? to our listeners and our and our newsletter yeah gosh so many so many kind of coming to mind actually because I feel like I've watched quite a few good programs and movies recently I I haven't binge watched a program in a while and I binge watched Little Fires Everywhere over the weekend okay and it just really grabbed me and I I just thought the dialogue in it was fantastic and I found it really challenging And I ended up reading about it afterwards and I read an interview with the scriptwriter. It was based on a book and the book was exploring race as as the program does. But I believe that the main characters were not black, whereas in the program they're black. And you also have this race dynamic with a Chinese mother and an adoption case as well. But the scriptwriter kind of felt if she was going to explore the idea of race more, she needed to have people writing that script that had a lived experience. And so they had twice the number of writers that they normally would. And they really kicked the tires on everything. And I think that really brought around, brought a real richness to the dialogue and the discussions and uh, the points made. And, and also what she said the the main scriptwriter said is that as a process and a project that she's been on, it also transformed her. And I thought that was amazing. And I, and I guess if I link it back to my work, I think when when 
leaders go on this journey to help their large organizations to become purpose led, it's not just about transforming the company. It's also about transforming them. Fantastic. So the series is called? Little Fires Everywhere. And which platform can it be seen on? That was on Prime, I believe. (laughs) Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Dee, for your willingness to be part of the podcast. It's been great to have you on Why It Matters and appreciate your time with us. You've been listening to Why It Matters. Why It Matters has been put together by Spark Studio, the brand and design agency based in London. To find out more about us, visit our website at sparks-studio.com. Join the conversation on Twitter and Instagram at hashtag whyitmatterspod or get in touch with me at whyitmatters at sparks-studio.com. Thanks for listening.